Uh, good morning. If you can take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, I'd appreciate that. We'll actually be in Exodus 19. You know, I heard of a story of a shipping deck at a warehouse. A box was being delivered to that shipping deck, and at the top of the box was this big sign, this big, t- big decal that says, Danger, do not touch. Danger, do not touch. And everybody that saw that box was stepping back from that box, didn't know what to happen. And it was happening all through the day. Everybody was stepping back from the box until finally the foreman, the brave one, comes up. But he had these goggles, he had a hat on, he had gloves all the way up to his arms. And he approaches the box, and he doesn't know what to expect. And he starts cutting away at the tape, opening up the box, not knowing what he's going to find. When he opened up the box, he was surprised to find 25 signs that says, Danger, do not touch. And so many times this morning, what I want to talk to you about, about not touching, about not touching, we're going to be starting a new series called The Commands of God, 10 Laws of Love and Freedom. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20. But the challenge at the very beginning as we start this series is to understand how does a holy God, how does a holy God relate to unholy people? How does he do that? Now, holy just meaning God is so removed from all of us. Holy, holy certainly in his morality, but holy... Uh, in terms of his distance, the Bible says. That's what the word literally means, that he's separated from. He's separated from us. And the distance between God and mankind is great. In terms of his strength and his power and strength of his purity and strength of everything. In terms of everything, right? We find this God, he's holy. He's separate. He's far removed. He's pure. There's no sin found in him. And he's dealing with mankind who is unholy. How does he do it? How does God deal with us like that? He loves us and he cares for us. But how do we relate to him? How could God relate to unholy people? How does he do that? Well, in Exodus chapter 20, those are the Ten Commandments. In the context of they have been in captivity and for many, many years in the land of Egypt. The forefathers had lived in the land of Egypt. They migrated down to Egypt, and now they've been enslaved for many, many years. And they had lost their identity. And they're wondering, who are we? Who are we as a people? We're not Israelites. We're not from the... From, from Palestine, all we know is Egypt. We're not Egyptians because we're slaves in the land. And then God chose to rescue them and, and redeem them, brought the plagues upon the Egyptians. You know the story from the book of Exodus, what he did there. How he came, they came across the desert with the Egyptians following them, and they came up to the Red Sea, and they were trapped. They had nowhere to go. And yet a powerful God rescues and redeems them by miraculously opening up the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry ground. But as soon as the Egyptians start walking through, God closes the Red Sea upon them, those who were pursuing him, and he destroyed them. And God had rescued the children of Israel. But who are they? They're now three months out of Egypt in this time, and they're in the desert. There's a lot of things ahead of them. Kadesh Barnea, 40 years wandering in the desert. They don't know any of that. They're wondering, who are we? Who are we? They've got to be struggling with that identity of who we are and stuff like that. We're not the Israelites. We've never been to the land. We've only heard about the land. We're not, we're not, we were in Egypt, we're not Egyptians, we were slaves. We're not in Egypt now, we're in the desert. Who are we, are we nomads? We're just going to go from tent to tent and we're just nomads? And God is going to step in, and God has pictures of God who sits in heaven, and he's going to come down to get to know his people and have his people to get to know him. And God clears up their identity by saying this to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And that's all we need to know about our identity. Our identity is set because we know that God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And some of you might be nurses, or you might be teachers, or might be students, or maybe you have a title at work, but that's not who you are. That's what you do. 
who you are, you're a child of the Most High God, where he says, I am your God, and you will be my people. And God shares, it takes this little group of people, uh, and he chose them way back in Genesis chapter 12, where he says to Abram, he says, leave your father's household in your land and go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham did by faith, he left. And these people called Jews were God's chosen people, right? But why did God choose them? Why did God choose them out of all the other people? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 through 9 tells us why God chose them. God gives us answer, and he says this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. And how, how are they going to view this God? Now that they've seen what he've done, they've seen God, they've seen his power in defeating the most powerful nation in the world at that time. They've seen his power with the plagues. They've seen his miraculous power as it, it, par it parted the Red Sea. They've seen his power in providing them manna and, and water. Yes, they have to be asking the question, does he love us? Do we love him? <laughs> do we really love him? Do we care about him? How do we get to know him? Will he always be there for us? Will he always provide manna for us? Will he always provide water for us? Will we ever get to the promised land? Will we get the land? And will we have difficulties there? They got to be asking, how do we get to know this God who calls himself our God and we are his people? And God is going to answer all those questions for them on a mountain. There's so many wonderful uh, kind of stories that came through the mountains of scripture, those mountain experiences. And the mountain experience I'm talking about this morning, referring to is Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And most biblical scholars will say they're one and the same, but there's a third name that's also called, it could be called Mountain of Yahweh or Mountain of God. And that's the same mountain where Moses met God on a burning bush. And here on this mountain, God is going to explain some things that you and I need to get today. Those principles are very relevant for us. So if you have your outlines ready, have them open up. If you can look at it, recognize three things concerning God's commands. And the first one is so important for us, it's so important for them, and it's so important for us today, that you are set apart for relationship. You are set apart for relationship. Before we read Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, let me give you a little background of Exodus chapter 19. The children of Israel in bondage, God had delivered them from that in a very powerful way. He brings them out, and, and now the Egyptians are gone, the plagues are gone, the Red Sea is gone, and now center stage in a desert at a mountain. And God is on the mountaintop, the children of Israel at the base of the mountain, and there's one going up and down the mountain, a guy by the name of Moses, who's the mediator. And Moses comes down the mountain after met with God, and he tells him in three days, something amazing, something miraculous is going to happen. So he says, you need to consecrate yourselves. And so you will find that often in Scripture when God is going to do something good. As particularly in the Old Testament, he will tell the people, you need to consecrate yourselves. And I think that principle is really important for us. If we want to see the mighty hand of God, that we got, might be always prepared and consecrate ourselves. For them, it was a ceremonial consecration, and he gives them instruction for that. But back on the mountain, the second day Moses comes down, and he tells them, don't approach the mountain. He says, don't come near the mountain. Don't touch it. Don't touch the mountain. It's almost like God is holy. We stand back. Don't touch it. And if you can imagine, it's almost like a yellow police tape wrapped around the mountain. God said, keep your distance. Don't come close to the mountain. 
don't touch it because if you touch it you will die so keep your distance and i don't know if uh, if if i'm one of those people and i see moses coming up and down the mountain he has all these great things to tell us i think that i would hope and i would hope i would say moses i would love to go up you at that mountain would you I'd like to go up with you. I think we'd have a great fellowship time walking up the mountain, have great conversation. And I promise when we get to the top of the mountain, I won't get in the way. I just want to listen to you and God talk. That's all I want to do. Can you imagine wanting to go up there with Moses and listen to God and Moses talk? But God said, no. Don't go up the mountain. Don't come close to the mountain. Don't touch it, he says. And then on the third day it happened. The Bible says that God came down in a cloud from heaven at the top of the mountain, the Bible says. And on that day there was thunder and lightning. And there was loud trumpet blast blast over and over and over again, unlike anything you've ever heard, because it was the presence of God that came down on the top of that mountain in a cloud. So much so that the Bible says the mountain began to shake. It said it, it began to tremble violently, the whole mountain. The whole earth began to tremble right there at the top of the mountain. And all these people at the base of the mountain who wanted to cozy up to God and, and maybe have a conversation with God now realize, I'm so glad I didn't go up that mountain. I'm so glad I didn't go there, because what I'm seeing here today and later when Moses comes down the mountain, the people will say to Moses, says, don't let us go into the presence of God. You represent us and go for us. We don't want to go before God because they were trembling in fear of who God was. So what was God doing? What was God doing when he was doing it at the base of the mountain with the people? God was saying to them, we've got this relationship. We've got a relationship now. And he says, before we get to Exodus chapter 20, we've got to talk about Exodus chapter 19 because chapter 19 will make... Exodus chapter 20 make a, hop, a lot more sense. Because you take chapter 19 away, and all you have is 10 rules. That's all you have is 10 rules. But, but if you have chapter 19, we have relationship, where God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And, and what God said to them is also what he says to us in Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if you know that. I, I want to share some of those verses. In Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul is writing to the New Testament church, which is us, which is us, and he's, and he's recounting what God has done for us there in this passage. And it's almost as if God is writing, God blessed us, but he doesn't stop there because there's so much more that God has done. And he writes, God has chosen us, comma, and he continues to write. In the original language, the, the sentence goes on from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through verse 14. One continuous long sentence is what we have there. Well, I want to read a couple verses from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, it's about our relationship with God. And Paul talks about this special relationship that you and I have who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. He says this to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen, not almost every spiritual blessing in Christ we've been blessed with who know Jesus. He goes on in verse 4. For he chose us, in him before the creation of the world. As he said, I chose Israel from all the other nations. I chose you before the creation of the world. He says, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his own pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us to the one he loves. What blessings, just those few verses, what blessings, what kind of relationship? He says, we are loved and we are blessed. And we have this close relationship with God, not through the mediation of Moses, much better, but through the mediation of Jesus, amen? Through him we have it. So we are gathered here today, centuries later, looking at the 10 commandments. Over the next 10 weeks, we're gonna be looking. And as we look at those commandments, 
We have to understand these are not rules without relationship because that would produce rebellion. Anytime you give rules without relationship, it always produces rebellion. These are rules with relationship. It's so important to understand that. This Bible is given to us, it's through relationship. And God says, this is how I want you to live. These are rules with relationship. And it's so important we understand it. And the greatest relationship of all the world is God with his people and people with their God. That's the greatest relationship. And that's what God is doing here, right here. We're talking about relationship. You can't have, if you don't, if you have rules without relationship, it's the same. With your children, if you try to lay down rules, you don't have that relationship with them, it's going to cause rebellion. It's got to be rules with relationship. So let's look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. Let's begin there. So he says here, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Stop there. I love eagles. I love watching them fly. I haven't seen a lot of them live. I've seen a few live. I've seen them on TV all the time. So beautiful and powerful and effortless in their strength. And that's what God says. God says, I brought you up out of Egypt on eagles' wings. That's the metaphor he chooses to use here. It was in my strength. It's not yours. You were in it for the ride. That's all you were. I did this. You did nothing. You were in it for the ride. I brought you up out of Egypt. And they were never, ever, ever to forget that event, what God did for them, how he brought them up out of Egypt. He says, I did it. And just like we are never supposed to get, forget the cross, the event of the cross that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, right? We're going to remember it at least once a month as we take communion, right? We remember that. And, it, and we're supposed to remember it every day. Because who we are, right? To remember who, who Jesus is and what he did for us. Amen? We remember it every day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And it's so important we're reminded of that every day. And hopefully you, you remind yourself as you read in Scripture, it's all because I have this relationship with God is because of Jesus. Amen? It's all because of Jesus. And he says, I brought you up out of eagle, brought you out on eagle's wings. Why? Why did he do that? Well, he gives us the answer in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. He says, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. In other words, I led you out so I could draw you near. That's what God does. I led you out so I could draw you near. And we've got this relationship, he's saying. We've got this close relationship. And don't forget that when you get to commandment 6 or commandment 8 or commandment 10. We've got this relationship, and it all hinges on this relationship. Remember these things. So the second thing concerning God's commands, the second thing, our relationship with God carries responsibility responsibility. That's what he tells them next. This relationship is going to carry responsibility. He says in verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. God says a lot there, what he's saying there. God has said there's a boundary you can't go past. Only Moses can come up and he'll come down and relay my message. But he says there's a responsibility. And in this responsibility that you have, you have to love and you are to obey. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're asked to do. Because I own everything, God says. I own it all. Everything is mine. And you are to love and you are to obey. And, and, and you look at the, on a clear night, you look up at the sky and you see those three, just a fraction of those 300 sextillion stars, right? So beautiful and amazing, especially on a clear night. And you look at those, God made them, God named them, and God placed them. Every one of them. Every one of them, all those stars, the Bible says, he named them and he placed them. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. God says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We belong to God. We belong to him. Everything in this world and everything in it belongs to him. And he says, you are my treasured possession. 
Those two words have to go together with what God is saying. And they describe the relationship, how God views us. He wants to have us as his treasured possessions. He said, I want you to be my treasured possessions. You know, when I met Jesus, I knew that I was loved unconditionally because he died for me. And, and his love and his death were, were just kind of, were kind of expression of the love of God that he has for me. And it's without measurement. There's no measure to it. How great that love that God has for us is what the Bible says. And God says, you are my treasured possession. I knew you before the foundation of the world. I know you. I chose you. You belong to me. You are mine, is what he's saying. You belong to me. And everything about you, all your problems, everything that's going on in your life, it belongs to me. It is mine. Give it to me. It's mine. And even the bad things that happen in your life, God says, but don't you know that all things work together for good for those who love me? It's been called according to his purpose. Don't you know that? No matter what happens, even the, the difficult things that come, I can take those and I can bring glory to myself and I can work them in your life to make them good. I can do that. I'm the one that can do those things. And even the day comes when we leave this life and we're wondering, God, do you love me? Do you love me? He gives us a passage in Psalm 116, verse 15, and he says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God loves us. He cares about us from the beginning of time. He's preparing a place for us for the rest of the time. And when we see him, the Bible says, we will be like him. And he says, we have this relationship, and you are my treasured possession. You are my treasured possession. But God, what do we do? Now that we know that, what do we do? You have everything. You don't need anything from us. And this is what God says. This is what you're supposed to do. He says, all you're supposed to do is love me and obey me. Love me and obey me. We got, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what God has called us to do. Just love him and obey him. Some of you married couples, and maybe some of you dating couples, you've led the, the five love languages from Gary Chapman, right? And so you know the love language of your spouse, you know, the, the words of affirmation, the quality time, gifts, acts of service, or uh, uh, physical touch. And so the challenge is to love the other person, not with your love language, but with their love language, right? That's the challenge. What's God's love language? You got to think about that. What is God's love language? You know, those who have written books on this will talk about the love language of Jesus and how Jesus would love uh, people through all the different love languages. But how does God want to be loved? How does he want to be loved by us? How does he want to be? You can't touch him. You only see him by faith. God tells us, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. For you to say you love God, but you're not obeying him, you don't love him. He says, if you love me, then you will obey me. God looks at action. An action. You obey me. And the night before Jesus was crucified in John chapter 14, he says to the people, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So we will be to be obedient. And he shares, I want you to obey me. That's how I know you love me. That's how you demonstrate your love to me, by obeying me. So if we say, I love God, I love Jesus, it comes down to the answer, are you obeying him? Do you obey him? That's what he says, do you obey me? Then, after understanding that, he shares the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are well put together. We're going to go over them in the next ten weeks. The, the, the first four are, are commands are vertical to God. And it's, you shall not have no other gods. You shall not make idols for yourself. You should not to misuse the name of God. And you remember the Sabbath, right? The last six are horizontal toward other people because we have to live on this wor- earth with other people. And so they affect our relationship with one another. It's the ones do not steal, do not lie, do not murder, do not covet, do not commit adultery. Honor your mother and father. And God just didn't pick those things out of the air. and said, hey, I need one for adultery. I need one for this. I need one for that. That's not how he did the Ten Commandments. They all come from God's heart. 
or his moral nature. That's where they come from. So the law has several parts. You have the ritual part of the law. You have the ceremonial part of the law. And those are the parts of the law we can read about now in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. You can read about those and, and get all the details. It gives us the details of what goes inside the temple, how to set up the temple, how long the tassels can be. A lot of details, which seems so tedious to us as we read them. All these details and measurements and stuff. But then when you get to the moral part of the law, which are the Ten Commandments, that comes from the heart of God. It's his heart. We see his heart and his nature. The other things are instructing a point to God because the law is both the law is both regulatory and revelatory. Regulatory because it's controlled to regulate a life. Revelatory because it's talking about a person and why he gave us the law. It's God. It's God's the person. It's talking about him. It's what he gives. So God shows uh, these things that come from his heart. And when Jesus came, the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law totally, right? He fulfilled all the law, everything. So what's the purpose of the law? Galatians chapter 3 tells us to teach us that you and I couldn't live by the law. God gave the law that said, you can't meet the standards that I have. And all of us fall short to meet those Ten Commandments. All of us fall short of those to show us that. And maybe you say to yourself, you think to yourself, if I could just keep those Ten Commandments, isn't that salvation by the law? No, not at all. Because what happened before the law was grace. We saw grace that happened there. And the picture of salvation has nothing to do with the law directly. The picture of salvation that we see in this story is the grace of God that brought them out of Egypt on eagle's wings. That's the grace of God. That's what he was demonstrating to them. And this is an expression of our deliverance, and it's who we are. That's what we look. That's who we are. God's grace. He did it. Obedience to ex expectations of God. So for us today, the grace of God for us is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Amen? That's the grace of God. And we respond by faith. And the expectations of God now, after we respond by faith, is obedience to God. We're to be obey Him and to follow Him, right? Once we know Him, once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, now it's obedience to Him, to follow Him. Not to go live our own life, not to do what we want, but to obey Him in all things, not in some things, in all things. But he sums it up in the next verse by sharing the third thing that we need to recognize. And this one's really important. The third thing concerning God's commands we are God's representatives. We are God's representatives. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, he says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. These are the same words that God said to the Moses with regards to the nation of Israel that God says to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, our memory verse. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen people. God chose you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are God's representatives. That's what he's saying. You are God's representatives. And where we have God said to himself in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says, let us make man in our own image. Remember that, that passage? That word image means representation represent him. So first and foremost, God is saying, I'm in heaven, you are on earth, and you are representing me. That's what he's saying. You are my representative here on this earth. You are made in my image. You're my representative. And therefore, if you're going to represent me, this is how I want you to live. And so you are not representing a school. You're not representing a discipline. You're not representing a country. You're not representing a race. You are representing me. And this is how I want you to live. And God says to us, 
to us as followers of Jesus Christ, to those who have put their faith and trust in him, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what he tells us. You are my representative. Why should we live this way? God says, because when people see you, I want them to see me. When people see you, they need to see God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So you're going to get bombarded with all kinds of things that come into your life right now. People are going to say they're going to mock your obedience. They're going to mock how you live. They're going to mock your way of life. And they're going to call you all kinds of names and more. They're going to say those rules that you live by are from another time and place. They're so antiquated. You need to be enlightened. And they're going to say all kinds of things. You're going to hear all kinds of things about, about, about how you live and what you do and about the Bible and all kinds of things. But don't cave into the world's standards because God is saying, I've called you something, something greater than that, than the world's standards. I am your God and you are my people and I want you to represent me really, really, really well here on the earth and this is how I need you to live. And then, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. After he's established, we have this relationship. You are set apart. You're in my treasured possessions. You're different from anybody else in the world, from any nation in the world. He says, now, this is how I want you to live. Here's the Ten Commandments. And it makes a whole lot different sense. And the same thing to us. He's saying to you. You've been called by me. You're my chosen people. Your people belong to God. You belong to me. You are to live your life different from everyone else. You are to stand out from all other people in the world. Why? Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And when people see us, they need to see God is what he's saying. They need to see me is what God is saying. So that means that our calling is continuous. It's marvelous. It's amazing, the calling that God has given to you and I. That means when we go to lunch today, wherever we go, we are representing God, right? That means in our drive home, whether it's on main roads or side roads, that we're representing God. That means when we go to work tomorrow, whether it's calm at work or it's a hostile environment, we are representing God. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are his treasured possessions, is what he's saying. Imagine that. God says, you are my treasured possession. We are the pinnacle of his creation when he created mankind because we and only we are made in his image, and we are his representatives here on this earth. Therefore, we need to glorify God in our bodies and our spirits, which is his, which belong to him. Imagine that. You belong to me, and I want you to glorify me. We are loved, and we are to respond in obedience. We understand this and we respond in obedience. And when we understand what we have in Jesus Christ, it should be easy to obey, right? When we understand all that we have in Jesus. And over the years, I read an article a while back, and over the years I find this, and, and uh, often Christians, people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they don't really believe God loves them. And I'm not, I'm not saying what I've, so I've talked to you don't think, when the pastor thinks that about me, I'm not saying any of that. But I'm finding a lot of Christians, they don't really believe God loves them. I mean, they can check off the theological box. Yeah, I know God loves me. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. But if push comes to shove and, and the difficulties come in this life and the, and the world reminds us that they're worthless and they're failures and they could really do without them, and maybe even some family members where they hear they're bombarded with all kinds of noises and voices, they need to hear through all that the whisper of God is continuous where God says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I hope you hear that this morning. 
And my question is, do you, do you believe it? Do you really believe that God loves you? Because the, this theological truth is not going to be life-changing unless it's applied. You're never going to be able to live the, God, the life that God wants you to live unless you apply that truth, that God loves you. He really loves you. That to understand the love of God in our lives, how much that he loves you and he cares about you. And that's the whisper we need to hear from God over and over and over in our life, that God loves you, and he does. He loves you. He loves you. And his love will never change, not like some people in our lives where their love was conditional. They love us for a while. God's love never changes. So you never have to wonder, someday is God not going to love me like he does now? No, he loves you fully now. He'll never change his mind about you. He committed to you a long time ago. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for you to demonstrate his love for you. And there's nothing you're going to do to ever change his mind about it. No sin, anything you do, God's going to love you because he's committed to you. He's not like anyone else. You do something wrong, they turn their back on you. God loves you. And when we understand that we need to live that life because he loves us, unconditionally, he loves you. That's what the Bible's saying. That's what he's saying to him. I love you. And we have this relationship. You are my treasured possession. So obedience should be easy, right? And so anybody, it begins, all of us begins to understand now, all this ends about this love of God by knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior yet, I strongly urge you and challenge you to begin the process by bowing your knee to him and understanding that and believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so you can spend an eternity with him. And you respond by understanding that Jesus Christ died for you. You respond by faith, by saying, I put my faith and trust in Jesus for what he did for me on that cross that he died for my sins. And if you've never done that today, all you got to do is come say, God, I know I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's God, and he died on the cross and paid for all of my sin. All those things that separate me from God, Jesus paid the price. And now I believe, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus, what he did for me upon that cross. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. Please see me. Let's get that taken care of. It all starts with that. You cannot, the next several weeks as we get into the Word of God and going through the Ten Commandments, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you're just going to rebel against everything I say. Because only through relationship are these commandments given to us. This is the way we have to live. Sometimes we're trying to tell the world to live like this. We wonder why they're not listening, because they don't have the relationship. There will always be rebellion in the world without Jesus. The only way they're going to conform to this is through Jesus Christ, because they're trying to, we're trying to push rules without relationship. But with relationship, the rules, we realize what we have in Jesus, right? So all of us today, we're his, we need to understand we are his treasured possessions. We have this relationship with God. We are loved by God through Jesus Christ, right? We have this relationship. So his expectations should be easy to follow him, to be obedient to him. When we understand the love that God has for us, that he will never turn his back on us. He says treasured possessions. How many, how many of you say that about people? They're my treasure. That's what he says about us. You are my treasured possession. That's what you are to God. He loves us unconditionally. So it's easy when we understand his love and his relationship that we have, and he's never going to change his mind about it. The relationship that we have in Jesus Christ is forever. It's for all of eternity. It doesn't stop in this life. It goes for all of eternity that I will be with him when I pass from this life that I will be with him. And when I understand that, then obedience should be easy, right? Amen? 
Let's think about that as we're living for Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And a lot of us like to say, boy, I love God. I love Jesus. The question is, are we obeying him? Are we obeying him? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much, God, because you are so good. We thank you so much, Lord, for not just the New Testament, but we thank you for all the Bible, Lord, because there's so many rich principles, Lord, that we can apply to our lives. There's so much rich understanding that we have from this, Lord. We're so thankful that your, your word speaks truth to our hearts and minds. It gives us exactly what our souls need, exactly what our hearts need. And so this morning, Lord, help us to realize that if we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, we don't know him today, then, Lord, we need to have that relationship with him. Because the, otherwise, these are rules without relationship, and it's just going to have uh, just to have us rebel. So if someone who doesn't know Christ, I say I pray for their soul this morning that they would have uh, come to understand that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and the only Savior that we have is through Jesus Christ. So I pray for them this morning. Lord, I pray for all of us as we continue to worship here, Lord, that we realize that you love us, that you sent your Son to die on us. That's your grace. And we responded by faith, and now you expect us to obey, not out of relationship, because we have a relationship with you. And for us to say, I love you, means we will obey. That's what you ask each one of us to do, is to love him, you and obey you. And so, Lord, just speak to our hearts this morning. If there's anything that we're not obeying you this morning, Lord, or it's disobedience, Lord, reveal that to us so we can f confess it. So we can do the First John 1, 9, where it says we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, will forgive us our sins. It will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's your promise. That you might forgive us, you will forgive us is what you promise. And you promise to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a God we serve. A God who constantly forgives, constantly gives us his grace and mercy. when We don't deserve it. But that's what grace is. That's what mercy is. And we're so thankful. So Lord, we come and bend the knee, Lord. Help us to live the life you've called us to live. Help us to understand that we are loved by you, and we are your treasured possession. And we are to be your representatives here on this earth. What a privilege. What an honor. And so, Lord, when we understand it, your expectations should be met. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.